Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. If you thought it couldn't get any lazier, our last episode, Billy used only vocals in a legendary a cappella song. And in today's episode, he does the exact opposite using only instruments. In the final of his three instrumental studio album songs, this one entitled The Mexican Connection. The Mexican Connection concludes unceremoniously the unceremonious Street Life Serenade album. Billy's third album released October 11th, 1974. Oh, everyone's excited about the 50th anniversary of this song coming up in two years. So get ready. Amazingly, the Mexican Connection was released as a single on November 30th, 1974. Well, it was released on the back of the single. It's the B-side of the 45 of the Entertainer, which, by the way, Elon comes in at three minutes and 38 seconds. It's actually longer than a song with music and lyrics. How's that? Yeah. So what is that? That's 33 seconds longer than the entertainer. I mean, what is happening? Uh, I said to myself, I will eat my hat if this song appears anywhere else on any other album. And it doesn't, thank goodness, because my hat is made of felt and I'm allergic. Yeah, you got to stop eating that shit. Right. So get ready, folks. Now it's going to get fun. In 2015, New York Magazine writer Christopher Bonanos took three months to make a comprehensive list of every Billy Joel song ever written out of 121 songs. Alan Altman, where does he place the Leave Him Wanting More song from Street Life Serenade, The Mexican Connection? This is the number one Billy Joel song of all time. No, don't take that as my guess. Huh, wow, you kind of uh, you, you threw me off there a little bit. You almost make me feel like he liked it a lot. But he he can't. This is this is Chris Bananos. I'm going to say Bananos put this at 86. Well, you're wrong. This is the one. It's the last one. It's 121 out of 121. He hates this song, the most out of all Billy Joel songs ever created. Ding, 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 ding. Billy Joel, you've been (laughs) bananos. Yes, you have. And we are talking scenes from an Italian restaurant as number one and the Mexican connection as 121. We now know Chris Bananos is best and worst. So if you're going to get delivery for a Chris Bananos, order from the Italian place, not from the Mexican place. That's right. Exactly. Glenn Gamboa gives this 113 
out of 124. They both dislike the Mexican connection. Uh, Christopher Bonanno says an instrumental that sounds like the rights free music people use in YouTube videos. (laughs) 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 Fills up side two of the album and does no more. Love it. Wow. The, The fans rank it at 72. And all right, Alon, listen. I never heard this song before. I <laughs> uh, didn't even know it was an instrumental until we spoke about it a couple months ago, I guess. Never heard it. And as much as I'm having a good time making fun of it, I love this song. I'm almost thinking of putting it on the hidden gems to, if it wasn't in alphabetical order, we didn't do a show in alphabetical order, I would end the show. I would end the hidden gems list with this song. Wow. So you're basically like saying F you bananos. I'm putting this on that list. This is so you want to put this at the end of the you want this to be a closer song, just like Billy Joel does on Street Life Serenade. Yeah. Which is odd, of course, because as you may or may not know, which I think you do, that apparently he used to play this as the introduction for in his concerts for years, right over the loudspeakers before before the concert started. Yeah, yeah. This was that song that would just play, which now he plays the natural before he starts playing something live. And and back in the day, it was the Mexican Connection. So it was kind of weird, like you're saying, where it was the last song on the album, first song in concert, kind of like Miami 2017. Also, right, where it was the last song on turnstiles and was often the opening song at concerts. Yeah. But I really like it. Now, I see where you want to put this at 121 or 113 because it's cheating. It shouldn't be on an album. It's ridiculous to put an instrumental at the end. I mean, it's not ridiculous. Put it at the end. That's not so ridiculous, but it's still ridiculous. It, Billy Joel should not be putting an instrumental out. Although, again, back in the day when you made an album, this is a perfect last song. Why not? But remember, there's two instrumentals on this album, which makes it completely unacceptable. So I think that's where they're coming from. But if we were going to have a Billy Joel song that is instrumental and nowadays we don't care and nobody listens to an album as a whole, I love it. I really was enjoying it very much. Now, there's something about this song that I guess just reminds me of a bunch of stuff. Like, for instance, it reminds me of Saturday mornings growing up as a kid. I don't know why, but that's the feel it gives me. I know it's supposed to be a statement about the, what is it? The Mexican skyline or something like that. Yeah, or, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Well, it's supposed there's things in it where there's blocks of cords and the bridge, or as they say, reminiscent of a thunderstorm, temporarily disrupting the peaceful Mexican sunset, but then calm and serenity soon return. That's the way people, some people describe this song. But for me, There's something about the 70s and Saturday morning TV and maybe some ports of Sesame Street that reminded me of a Spanish feel to the day. I don't know what it was. Certainly there were no Spanish or Mexican people in my neighborhood. I don't think I ever met anybody, but on TV they would be depicted. And there was something fun and safe about that music, which I'm sure other people felt the opposite of. I don't know. There's something about this song also. And I'll let you talk, obviously, in a second. But 
there's also something about this song and i have been racking my brain to figure out where i have heard all of this before and i found it was killing me there were two movies in my head where i'm like oh my god the song the song the instruments the movies in my head what is it and i finally found it just before we were about to record i found both of them that were in my head i can't even believe it wow but so what is it this song is a soundtrack right i mean it's it just it to- yeah it totally sounds like soundtrack music just like he was trying to do with the ballad of billy the kid or root beer rag if you know if they had used that for the sting yeah and then and then there it is though i mean I've been making fun of this album for a while because I didn't understand it. But the more we've been talking about this album and the more we've been going through songs in the album, it's a good album <laughs> because it is a themed album and uh, everything does seem to fit on it the way I had no idea before I started putting all these pieces together, you might say. Yeah, well, I warned you about this way back when, because uh, it really does go together when you hear it as a cohesive piece. And I'm glad that now you're noticing that finally. And this is this song works there at the end of the album because it does feel like a coda to whatever Street Life Serenade is supposed to be, the Southwestern feel. Yeah. This feels like the sunset. Yeah. You know, it also fits the front of the album cover. Yeah. Like, you know, I as I've told you in the past, when we used to just stare at the album covers for hours listening to the music, and that's all we had before MTV or before, you know, being able to listen to a record in your car or walking down the street. It was only the album covers, and this is the song. You could stare at the front of that album cover for an hour listening to this song, and it fits perfect. Yeah, I agree. That's Not the, so mo- much that's the, the mood. <laughs> but yeah, whatever that little street corner is and the cover of this album, yeah, this song, as you say, fits the mood. Yeah, which actually, I guess, is in Los Angeles somewhere, but close enough to Mexico, you know, just a short drive down the highway. I feel like this album also is kind of funny because they put this song last and it's right after Souvenir, which feels like it should be the last song. Right. We've said right? that before. It's we said that before that with Souvenir Cold... is not the last song. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same thing with Cold Spring Harbor where you have Nocturne, which feels like, oh, that's the end for sure. And then all of a sudden there's got to begin again. Right. That's that's where the mistake lies, because if you were going to do an instrumental song and there should never be more than one, because then you really are phoning it in, it should be the last song, especially back in the day when I used to say, the last songs besides this unbelievable Miami 2017 usually are this. It's a throwaway song because as Paul Lauren had said, you know, by the time you get to the end, the sound quality isn't the same as it is at the beginning because of the way the grooves work and the vinyl. Mm-hmm. So these, the last song was always a throwaway and this seems to fit perfectly on an album that's kind of a throwaway album in many ways. Yeah, maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe he knows that, like, the engineer told him, you know, marimbas and moog and strings. These are weird instruments that still sound good, even when the vinyl quality sucks. I I like there's a little light use of those marimbas in this, and it works really well. It's kind of funny, like, every verse of this, it's like a repeating kind of variations on a theme or something. I don't know what you call it musically, but, you know, the same thing kind of repeats over and over, but the instrumentation keeps changing. So it's kind of like you almost feel like it's like a high school band and like each kid keeps showing up and all of a sudden, oh, the marimba kid is here. And now here's the the guitar guy and here's the kazoo. Yeah. So I will uh, tell you the movies that I've been trying to think of. Now, there's certain parts of the song that just it's like it was in my head. So 
the first one is where that is the ending the very ending of the movie that thing you do where the lead character finally makes out with Liv Tyler and that is the music and I checked it and it's very very close and that was in my head it was driving me crazy wow good but there's the middle part that I'm going to play for you now now you guys aren't going to be able to see it but I want you to see it (laughs) we'll listen to it okay it took me so long to figure this out. Where have I seen this music? In a, I know it's in a montage. I know it's from the 70s. What's it from? It's from the movie The Goodbye Girl. There is a montage scene where they're fixing up the apartment. And this is the exact same. Now, what I'm going to do for you first is play the Mexican connection over the montage. And if you don't tell me that you actually thought I was playing the movie music, <laughs> that it's not absolutely flawless to go over the um, fixing up the apartment montage for this song, then I'll eat my hat again. No, you can't eat felt. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> but and then I'm going to play the actual music for you and you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> Are you yeah. ready? Yeah. I'm sharing my screen. see it yet what how is this not working for you no now it works Did you well, get it at all? Yeah, totally. I mean, especially when they start the the furniture montage, the painting part, not so much. They're they're working on painting a wall. I don't really see it. They're moving furniture, and that really feels like a hey, we're getting stuff done. Right. And this music works with that. Also, the two guys helping the goodbye girl. I assume that's her name. Yeah. Uh, one of them looks like Billy Joel, and one of them looks like Liberty <laughs> DeVito. Oh, perfect. So, okay, so here's the actual music from that montage. Okay? okay, you ready for this? Because you're not going to believe it. What? I'm redecorating. What color should we paint the bedroom? Successful. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a move. <laughs> well, it's way worse than the Mexican connection. I'll oh, say yeah. That. No, that's what I'm saying. The Mexican connection is sometimes better. But it had that little move thing at the very, very beginning of it. And that just I remembered it immediately that it kind of was from that. And then also 
it, it, right there's a montage in the movie baby boom that was very similar to this thing i know it sounds ridiculous why is i wh- who would remember anything like that but i guess i've seen those movies so many times the music stick, sticks in my head and that is where i went for some reason with this song kind of definitely a a 70s movie mod even though baby boom's a little bit in the 80s but it seems like it's always part of a montage and as we said, it it is a soundtrack song. So I guess that's exactly where my head went. It is a perfect. This guy should have made a soundtrack at one point in his life. He should still do it now. And it's weird that he didn't. Yeah, I, I see the connection there because <laughs> the Mexican connection. Hey, in that montage, like, you know, there's like also that weird percussion that's going on that do do that little like wood block or whatever it is. And and Mexican connection also has some like interesting percussion sort of noises, that whole Latin feel to it, I guess. And it does feel seventies, right? Kind of like when we were talking about handball, which we never did an episode on, but which is sort of a handball. (laughs) Yeah. For the purists, it's not an instrumental because he does say handball. So just like the (laughs) longest time. Not turn. But, Are you saying just that the purest like the longest time isn't a true acapella? Yeah, same kind of right. thing. People say, well, handball technically is not instrumental. But oh, that also, to me, felt so 70s, so Sesame Street. And this one also, I, I know why you're saying what you're saying. The Sesame Street thing. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, too. Yeah, there's something about it that uh, really gives you that ethnic feel to it in a way, as horrible as that may sound, but maybe more of a multicultural feel. Is that better at putting it? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like I've world music. Wrong. Yeah, right. World music more so than the usual suburban music he, you know, gives us people who love Billy Joel, the opposite of Prince. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> it's like the suburbs of Mexico City. Oh, there you go. I would play this for my friend Memo. See what he says. His uh, grandfather built the uh, transportation system in Mexico City. Oh, I got to have a word with him. <laughs> so you had mentioned that this song got played a lot as like the opening over the loudspeaker song at concerts right apparently yeah and because of that like the live stats on this song are totally screwed up because i think a lot of these set lists are counting that as like a song that was played by billy joel right which we know it was not it was just played through the loudspeakers he never actually played it live at these concerts he just it was played through the loudspeakers which is also weird because you know there could have been multiple concerts i went to where it was playing and i didn't recognize that it was one of his songs so you know, I might have heard this somewhere in the past, but maybe that's why it's, you know, hitting me on these other levels of movies and sounds so familiar. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. I can picture right now. You're at a concert with your friend. You turn to him and you go, why are they playing that song from the Goodbye Girl? Right, right. Exactly. Well, now he's playing the song from The Natural. So really, why wouldn't I think that? That's from 1984. Yeah, no, you're completely right. <laughs> it's totally up in his wheelhouse. But there are rare versions where he did actually play it live. We have that one that is pretty good from the Great American Music Hall in 1975. Yeah, fantastic. And it was cool. Like the intro to that, he's just, it's early on in the concert and he says, we can try the Mexican connection. You want to try this? And then someone in the band says, what key is that in? And he goes, it's in D. And he has, says, for the first and last time, we are going to try the Mexican connection. Oh, that's funny. Like he's so frustrated. They don't even know what key it's supposed to be in. And they actually do a great job with it. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's funny that they keep not knowing the key and they don't know what's happening. And he does this sometimes. And then the band plays it perfectly. Every time, oh, well, we'll give this a try. And they're such professionals that when they give it a try, it's still 90% better than somebody who's actually giving it a try. Yeah. (laughs) There's such pros. 
Actually, yeah, in the middle of the song, he even at one point he screams out D. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, I, that was, I was wondering what that was, right? <laughs> he also, um, during the the um, Songs in the Attic tour at Toad's Place, there was that one concert where he played like snippets of a lot of rare songs. He called it like songs we never play. And he played about 20 seconds of this. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. There's also that place in the middle of it that's got that those wah-wahs, you know, that I love, which is just right out of a any John Carpenter movie, uh, you know, Escape from New York or... So, Which one was? Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's a good sound. Well, that's right out of this. Well, I'll share my screen again. I mean, it's almost like a French horn kind of, but like synthesizer-y. Yeah. My favorite from uh, Escape from New York. John Carpenter wrote his own music. Oh, he did. That's cool. Yeah, yeah he that, he wrote that. You know, John Carpenter, the, the director of, of Halloween, guy who created the Halloween that's been going forever, wrote that theme song. That's, know, that amazing. that's amazing. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, but it's cool and not cool at the same time because even though that's a, a theme that everybody knows, his music is more like Ross from Friends playing his keyboard. <laughs> you know. Well, you can't watch him play it. Then it would lose the effect. You don't want right. to see well, the guy. Well, actually, out. there is a concert of him playing his songs in concert, and it looks stupid. You're right. It was lightly attended. <laughs> no, people, listen, I would have gone to that. I love his stupid keyboard music. I can't help it. That's why you know I love that shit. Yeah. Are you a big John Tesh fan? No, but yes, <laughs> I hate you. And uh, yes, because I didn't want to be. But he wrote that unbelievable NBA song from the 90s, remember? Yeah, it's the it's the best song in the world. It's the best song in the world. But then when you see him play it, and I, I don't know whether I ever told you this, I sent this to Jimmy Kimmel, and then he took credit for it. He sent it to another guy, and, and they all took credit for the thing I turned them on to. He's at this place called Red Rock or something, and he plays the original answering machine where he came up with the theme to the NBA on NBC. Mm-hmm. And and then he just plays it and he just looks like such a dork. And if you didn't see him and know it was him, we would have thought this was the best song of all time, which it was. Everybody was angry that NBC lost the rights to the NBA because they can't play this song anymore. Yeah. And watching him play it is even worse. One of the things I've discovered is that there are many different ways to write a song, and the most unusual way came to me when I was in Europe about four or five years ago. I was trying to write a sports theme, and I did not have a piano in the hotel where I was staying, so um, I did probably what many of you have done, faced with a similar situation. I called my answering machine at home, and I I left a message for myself. And um, although that sounds goofy, what happened was that theme that I sang into the machine is the theme that they play every time the Chicago Bulls crush another basketball team. So I am singing themes into my machine regularly. And 
Special bonus for you folks, I have brought the original answering machine tape with me so I can play it for you. I know you were dying to hear it. There we go. But it has to be played on the original answering machine. So here now, the original demo tape for this particular song for pro basketball. Hi, this is a message for me about the NBA theme. Here's an idea. It goes like this. In 2019, Billy Joel actually played a snippet of this again at the Garden. Oh. I guess in between songs, he played it for like 20 seconds and then just gave up on it. Oh, how interesting. So he's, it's in his mind. He's still thinking about it. I hope one day he decides to really uh, let loose with it. Yeah, why not? But I guess I'll tell you the live stats officially, even though I know that almost all of these are not real plays. But it, uh, according to setlist.fm, it was played 25 times live. Oh. But let's okay. discount almost all of those. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yeah. This is a stupid song, so I have a stupid trivia question for you. What is the name of the restaurant across the street from the track in Sarasota Springs, New York? Is it called the Mexican Connection? It is, but here's the real trivia question. What night is their all-night happy hour? Tuesdays. It, you got that one wrong. It's Mondays alone. Oh, gosh. That's why I, I keep going on the wrong night. I'm paying full price for my drinks. <laughs> that just that reminded me of that scene from Ted where they're high on cocaine as Billy Joel's favorite drug, and they're deciding to open a restaurant together. And like, what night are the specials going to be? Tuesdays. <laughs> what are we going to have? <laughs> um, eggplant parm. <laughs> and like, great. And half price, on, half price off on chopped salad. Right. And it won't be restricted. Well, no. Why would it be restricted? I was. I'm saying it shouldn't be. Why would you even bring that up? No, no. He says like, and Jews will be allowed to eat there, right? Something like that. Yeah, won't be restricted. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Why would it be? That's what I'm saying. Why would it be? Well, why would we bring it up? <laughs> right, look, Johnny. If we're ever going to get serious about opening a restaurant, we got to start planning it now. Italian. Italian. Yes. What's the special on Tuesdays? Eggplant palm. Chopped salad, half price. And it's a non-restricted place. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Anybody can come. Of course. Jews are welcome. Well, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they be? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but why even bring that up? You don't bring it up. You just let them in. So why mention it? No one will. So why are we talking about it? You're talking about it. I'm just saying let them in. Yeah, let them in. Exactly. Right? Good. Okay. No Mexicans, though. That's a great scene. That's my stupid trivia question because this song didn't deserve one (laughs) today. Yes, it did. But yours, it should have been an instrumental trivia question. You should have said nothing. Oh, interesting. Well, what do you have for me, then? You're so smart. Well, since the song is called The Mexican Connection, my trivia question is about concerts that Billy Joel played in Mexico. According to Setlist.fm, he has played eight concerts in Mexico. The first five of them were in Mexico City in 1991. During those concerts, he played a cover of what song that was also the title of a 1987 movie? Well, you're in my wheelhouse now, 1987 movie. Uh, oh, cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> cocktail. <laughs> Handball. Let me think. The ty- it's a, What is it again? What's the question? It's a- he, played a, he played a cover song. 
Oh, a cover during these, song during these Mexico City concerts, and the, the title of that song is also the title of a 1987 movie. The cover is called Top Gun. No. All right. Let me try again. I'm thinking 1980. Ah, because we did this already with 1987 movies. It's not called She's Having a Baby. It's not. Oh, is the cover of the song called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Yes, a very strange long song name. No, okay, I'll give you another hint. Where this is located is important. These concerts were in Mexico City. Havana. <laughs> oh, that's not Mexico. a little a little bit wrong. Yeah. It's still Latino, but not right. Um, okay, so it's a Spanish song title. Ironically, I believe that's a Dave Grusin soundtrack because we bring him up often. Uh, what was the question? Is a blues soundtrack? No, it's it's a Spanish title. That'll help. La so Bamba. A, yes, La Bamba. Oh, boom. Not on my and he did a cover of La Bamba. Yeah, he sang La Bamba. Brilliant. Of course he would. Why wouldn't you do that when you're in Mexico? Well, I don't know. I wasn't sure if it was a Mexican song. Well, so Richie, Richie Valens was uh, Mexican American. So that, I did not. You've seen the know. movie. He goes with his like uh, half brother or stepbrother to Mexico to Tijuana, and he hears the song. No, I've never. I couldn't wait not to see that movie. That just disinterests me in every way possible. Wait, you're not a Lou Diamond Phillips head? I am not. And uh, him or the other guy. Uh, Isai Morales. Isai Morales. Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. Well, he was on NYPD Blue and he was on Ozark. I'm just reading his thing now. Well, yeah. Isai Morales. Right. I remember those two were around. I just didn't care for it at all. I don't know. Oh, how about this? He's going to appear as the main antagonist in the 2023 spy action film Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Wow. They're really going all out in the Mission Impossible. Well, why wouldn't they now with Top Gun is making all that money? How are you not making another Mission Impossible? They all do well. That yeah. Tom Cruise, he's never not been a movie star. It's amazing. He's the last one. He's the last true movie star. He doesn't do TV. He doesn't make any. He just he's a true movie star. We know nothing about him. He somehow gets out of all the things that most people have faltered in over the time. But it's amazing. He's been a true bonafide movie star since the early 80s. Yeah, it's an amazing run. I mean, and obviously he's got this weird Scientology thing. So he's got this right. mysterious right, And that's background. why it's amazing that he's still able to do it. Like people don't care for Travolta anymore, maybe because of that reason or whatever. Yeah. But this guy, well, he also makes good movie choices. And the weird part is even when he, you know, you're like, wait, whatever happened to Tom? Oh, Tom Cruise is still around. All those little movies that he made that you might not have thought of, they all made money. He just kept making good movies. Like even that uh, now it's called something different, uh, but now it's called like repeat, run, repeat something uh, with uh, Emily Blunt. And that was really good. Then oh, yeah, I, I love that. Um, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. But now it's called now they renamed it something else. They, well, they made like a TV version of it, I think they're making a series out of it. The, well, they're making a sequel, too. And then they're making a series. But they I think they renamed the original movie for some reason that I don't know why. So like movies like that that nobody knew about turned out to be really great. 
and Minority Report and things that even though that's a Spielberg movie that nobody remembers. Oh, no, people remember. That's a big movie. That's that's one of his classics. Vanilla Sky classic. Well, that's what I'm saying. Vanilla Sky wasn't that great. It's not it's not a classic. Right. I'm, yeah, that's, he's that's been a good making example. A list movies for forever. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. But, you know, he's obviously he's hiding a big secret, which no one yep, wants to talk sure about. Is. It, we'll find yeah. out sooner or later. Well, I, I know what it is. I know people who know him kind of well. I, apparently his his favorite song of all time is Winkin' and Blinkin' and Not. <laughs> so he's a little weird. I can't believe you just outed that. <laughs> Winkin' Blinkin' and Tom Cruise were going on the scene. Uh, I'd give anything if we really had an interview where he said that. Can you imagine if somehow that came out? No. Then I I would have to be like the new Nostradamus. How how could that have worked out? You'd be the new TMZ reporter. That's what it would be. That'd be a good good gig. You'd be the man. You're the man. That's the you're you're doing your uh, yeah you're doing your Tony Montana for the Mexican Connection. But I'm doing Tony Montana, but I'm doing Taylor Negron in Easy Money. Oh yeah, Rodney Dangerfield, Billy Joel combo of uh, I'm the man. I'm the man. You're the man. Yes, I'm the man. Yeah. You, know, you know, you know what this episode is missing is, you know, with the title like The Mexican Connection, I really expected you to give us your like TV announcer voice, your 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 tr- movie trailer voice, like The Mexican Connection. <laughs> Too easy. We all want it. The Mexican Connection. We'll continue in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Special guest star, William Shatner. Tonight's episode, To Catch a Dead Man. Well, I'm assuming you do not have a parody for this, so I don't think we have to worry about that. Yeah, I did not write a parody. We don't do that for instrumentals, but this song like would have had good lyrics. Like it's it feels like lyrics could have fit into it really good. You should have possibly made up a song for it. You made up your own lyrics for it. That's something we never thought of. Why don't we eat some meatball subs? Why don't we have a bag of clams? (laughs) (laughs) We're going back to Oyster Bay, where we will find Tom Cruise is gay. (laughs) I did the real outing. I'll take responsibility. Ah, Mama Bear has put the cave together. Well, that's from the Goodbye Girl. I don't know why I'm see. You got me as soon as you said that. I went back to the Goodbye Girl again. Back to the Goodbye Girl. Yeah. I don't like the panties drying on the rod. Okay. And Richard Dreyfus won an Academy Award for this role. He won an Academy Award for the 1977 movie in 1978, the same year Billy Joel won Best Album of the Year for 52nd Street. He won the Academy Award, which everybody got upset about, but he was up against Woody Allen as best actor, John Travolta as best actor, and some other guy I've never heard of. So the pickings were slim, and they gave it to Dreyfus. Yeah, uh, he probably wouldn't have won on a dip- if the Godfather had been that same year, he would not have won. This happens every ten to twenty years or so, where somebody wins because there's nothing else. Yeah, I could see that with that group, you know, because you have like John Travolta, too sexy to win. Woody Allen, too unsexy to win. Richard Dreyfus, safe choice down the middle. Well, I think it just comes to Woody Allen's not an actor. He was just acting by himself and nobody was expecting John Travolta to be in there. 
So, you know, you got to get the first one out of your, you know, off your belt. And then he probably could have won down the line if he had made better choices. Yeah, right. The first nomination, they're like, all right, he'll have other ones. We'll give it to him some exactly. other time. Little did we know it would take until 94 Pulp Fiction for him to be even nominated and best supporting actor again. Yeah, but no win. They didn't even nominate him for Michael. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Because he made very poor choices. You're telling me, look who's talking. Wasn't Oscar worthy? Apparently not. Well, folks, that was the Mexican Connection. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Is this your least favorite song or is it a hidden gem? Do you remember hearing this opening a concert? Does this song remind you of any other movie soundtrack music besides the examples that Dave gave? Crazy Dave. And... Do you like the song better with Dave's Tom Cruise lyrics? (laughs) I think I do. Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. (laughs) 